Welcome to the Not A Mommy Yet podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Fay. I started the Not A Mommy Yet blog and this podcast because I've always known I want to be a parent one day, and you might be listening because you feel the same. You may have also heard people with kids say things like, I wish I had known this before I had kids, or I wish I had done that. Hearing those comments made me think about the parts of my life I want to spend more time focusing on before I have kids in ways that will benefit me as a parent. So I started a list of people who can teach me about health, money, relationships, psychology, and more, and started interviewing them, and this podcast was born. Whether you plan to have kids or not, I think you'll find something interesting in this podcast for you. I hope you enjoy, subscribe, and maybe even share it with a friend. Thank you so much for listening. Thank Hi. you so much for being on the Not A Mommy Yet podcast. Of course. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, so I'm really excited to talk to you today because um, for the blog, I obviously want people to be thinking about what it's going to be like once we're parents and what we can be doing now to prepare for that time. And of course, money goes into that, right? So plan- mm-hmm. financial planning. Um, so first, I'd just love to go into how you kind of got into this industry in the first place after college. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I... Honestly, I kind of fell into this industry. Mm -hmm. I do have a background in finance from UCLA, but I didn't necessarily know exactly what I wanted to do with that. Mm -hmm. And things kind of fell into place. I was introduced uh, through someone I went to UCLA with to uh, one of the partners here at Miracle Mile, which is the firm that I'm currently at. They were a very small firm at the time. They were just getting started. Mm -hmm. There was four people at the firm and they were looking for interns. So I actually started interning here when I was still in school. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if it was just luck or timing or what, but it kind of just fell into place. I fell in love with the industry. I fell in love with the people that I was working with and the company um, that I was working with, Miracle Mile. And I interned through my time uh, at UCLA and I've been here ever since. So it's been about six and a half years now that I've been at Miracle Mile. It's amazing. Yeah, it's been awesome. Um, So what was it like moving up from intern to senior financial advisor where you are now? Uh, For me, being at a smaller firm made all of the difference. Mm -hmm. There are benefits to both. And for uh, younger people getting uh, started in the financial services industry, there, you know, if you go work at one of the larger firms like Goldman Sachs, Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, those are great places to start. And having a big brand name next to you can give you um, a lot of benefits. For me, I took a different path and I did start at a smaller firm Mm -hmm. where there was only four people. It was almost like a startup at the time, Mm -hmm. but you're really building the business from the ground up. So when you're working at a company that doesn't have, you know, an analyst department, we didn't have an operations department, we didn't have all of these different um, departments set up, I was doing everything. So Mm -hmm. I had to learn everything from putting together a whole proposal to doing the analysis, going to the client meetings with my bosses. Um, I got kind of experience that I wouldn't have had at the larger firms and really learned how to do everything. That's amazing. Yeah, it was awesome. (laughs) Um, So did you have like a mentor during that time? Obviously you were going to meetings like with your bosses, but did one person in particular like kind of guide you through that? I did. I have a mentor who's actually now my business partner Mm. and his name is Duncan Rolfe. He's one of the two Um, partners here at Miracle Mile who was here when I started and he has been amazing and really changed my my life here and my career trajectory Um, he took me under his wing and 
pushed me so out of my comfort zone. Like, (laughs) I don't know, from day one, he was having me go to meetings that I was just like, why would this person ever want to meet with me? Or why would they want to talk to me? And he would kind of force me to see things differently and take the perspective that I should think of myself as a partner of the firm and I should hold myself to those standards and mm-hmm. I have value to add to these other professionals. So this is why that I should be meeting with them. And yeah. it's been awesome. That's awesome. So going like looking back now to where you are, what has changed in some of the ways you kind of ha- deal with clients, I guess, or like approach your job on a day-to-day basis? Um, Well, now as a senior financial advisor, I have my own clients that I'm responsible for, Mm -hmm. that I'm their financial advisor. Mm -hmm. So on a day-to-day basis, I'm interacting with them and helping them kind of figure out everything that has to do with their financial life. So for my clients, Mm -hmm. um, I'm investing their money. So if they have, you know, a portfolio of stocks and bonds or retirement accounts, I'm investing that money for them. But I'm also helping them figure out anything else going on in their life. I have clients who say, you know, I'm trying to save up for a first home or a second home. How should I go about doing that? What does it look like to borrow now that interest rates are going up? What's the cost of capital? Um, You know, I'm looking at starting a small business. What are my options for small business loans? Or, hey, I want to buy a new car. Should I buy it or should I lease it? Helping them figure out everything going on in their financial life. Wow. So do they, like... How often are you in contact with them? Is it every day or? Um, so I meet with my clients quarterly. So minimum, we sit down every quarter and we review their portfolio and we, we review their financial plan. Okay. But other than that, life happens. So my clients can call me at any time if something's going on and they have a question. Yeah. <laughs> Which always happens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I read in the Forbes article that you manage over $350 million. I'm like, I just don't understand. <laughs> I can barely manage like $20 in a day. Like, how do you do that? <laughs> I mean, I've been, we've been lucky that we've experienced a lot of growth here at Miracle Mile. Yeah. So the company has been growing really fast and we've brought on a lot of new clients, which has been really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I... I work on a team, so my partner and I work together, so it's helpful to have more than one person on these client relationships, and the client, my clients know that they can call me, they can call Duncan, we're both here at any time, and then we also have, you know, this firm behind us, so Mm -hmm. you're not just dealing with one individual, we have a company behind us and other, you know, analysts and advisors here who can help as well. God, that's yeah. so impressive, though. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's its so much fun. I enjoy it. It sounds, you know, kind of silly and nerdy because I know that dealing with money is not something that a lot of people necessarily like dealing with. But yeah. um, it's fun for me. And I totally understand that it can be scary and it can be overwhelming. And it's like, you know, I, like you said, how do I don't even know how to manage $50. How am I supposed to figure out my whole financial life? So mm-hmm. I really like sitting down with people and helping them understand it and education to me is so important because I think if you can understand the finances first that's like the first roadblock to um, helping overcome the fear 100% I completely agree with that knowledge is power and when you have that decision making power I think going into it with way more confidence is absolutely key especially when it comes to money because that's like your livelihood at the end of the day it's like how you survive Um, so for millennials what are some tips that you like have for people kind of just getting started in their career who 
are kind of living paycheck to paycheck, right? So it's harder to even fathom being able to have or grow a savings account. You know, um, Mm -hmm. what are some tips that you have for people kind of in that situation? So I would say the first thing is to understand that age is your biggest asset. So, you know, we're young. We have a long, long runway here. And the power of compounding really, really does work. So if you can save a little bit of money and invest it, and then that money is working for you and making more money, then you have a larger sum of money that is invested and working for you and making more money. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll just give you a basic example that I like to throw out there. If you have a Mm 25-year-old who starts investing $5,000 a year into an investment account, and that investment account makes 10% a year, you'll have $2.2 million by the time you're 65. If that same person waits until he or she is 45 to invest and allocates four times that amount per year, so 20,000 instead of 5,000 into that same account, that an individual would only have amassed 1.1 million instead of the 2.2 million. So that's a big difference. Just starting earlier, you can invest so much less, that's 5,000 versus 20,000, and you have double the amount. Wow. Um, again, these are just like some assumptions thrown out there around what you'd earn on the investment account, but right. that's pretty powerful. No, yeah, that's really good to know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for myself. Like just because um, as I was leaving to come meet with you today, I was I'm staying at my grandpa's right now in LA, and he was like, "Make sure you ask about retirement. Like, make sure." <laughs> and that's really comforting to know that I can ha- like just saving five thousand dollars a year, which is doable. Like, if you just think about it, what that's like. 400 a month or something like you know then to have that much money when I'm 65 is very comforting because that can easily last you for the rest of your life that's a big nest egg exactly so I think that's one thing is just time time is our biggest asset and it doesn't have to be a lot and you know as millennials like you said a lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck and saving for retirement seems crazy. Right, of course. <laughs> what do you mean saving for retirement? Yeah. But if you can just start putting away a small amount of money each month and then, you know, you might also ask like how should I be doing that? One tip that I have for all millennials or really anyone out there is to open a Roth IRA. So a Roth IRA is a type of investment, a type of retirement investment account. You, anyone can open one up. You can go online to E-Trade, to TD Ameritrade, Schwab.com, and create um, an investment account called a Roth IRA. And this investment account is one of the best types of accounts out there because the money in it, it grows tax-free. And then when you take it out later in your life, you don't have to pay any taxes on it, which are different to other types of retirement accounts where you do have to pay taxes later in your life when you take them out. So Roth IRAs are awesome for people who are just getting started or who are already saving for retirement. Mm-hmm. And my recommendation would be to open one of those accounts and use that as your savings tool. So if you can put, you know, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, whatever it is. And you just keep adding to it? Yeah, there are limits. So every year you're only allowed to put fifty five hundred into it. So they the they do kind of max it out because 
these are such awesome types of retirement vehicles. Like I would put all my money into it if I could because right. the tax treatment is so favorable. Right. You can't do that, but you should at least take advantage of what the IRS does let you put into it right. and start putting some money into that every year. Okay. That's easy. Yeah. It's a great <laughs> way to get started and yeah. um, just start, you know, thinking about your retirement and again, I know young people think like, how in the world am I supposed to think about saving for retirement when I'm only 29 years old, Mm -hmm. but every little bit helps. And back to the example of compounding those couple thousand dollars every year, if you can keep that invested, it it really will pay off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So then in terms of financial planning, other than like retirement, like, do I need one? How do I create one? How does that kind of work? If I'm thinking about getting married, buying a house, like buying a car, all those things. Yeah. So I think that that's really important because, you know, having an account of stocks and bonds is great, but that's really only one piece of the puzzle. So everything else that we just talked about comes into play, buying a house, getting married, leasing versus buying cars, starting small businesses. So I would really encourage everyone out there to have someone put together a financial plan for you. And there are firms out there that offer fee-based financial planning that don't require you to have a bunch of money invested with them. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking um, at at kind of financial planning and financial advising firms, there are some firms out there that do require you to have a minimum amount of money invested with them in order to get their financial planning services. That's what I do and that's what Miracle Mile does, but there are other really good firms out there Mm -hmm. that will do fee-based financial planning for you. So you just charge for their time? Yeah, they they either charge for their time or they'll charge you X amount for a financial plan that then they kind of deliver to you. And they help you think through all these other things like buying a house or, you know, what do you need to do when you get married and you should, you know, or if you're combining your finances, how does that affect you? What types of accounts do you need to set up? What kind of goes into that? Um, so then how does, how do taxes come into all this? I know you mentioned that with a Roth IRA, it's, it's tax free. But then with the money that you invest with you or the planning that you do otherwise, like how does that all kind of... Yeah, taxes, another scary topic that yeah, I feel like no really, one... really overwhelming. Yeah, they're, they're, they are really overwhelming. And, um, you know, when it comes to taxes, one thing that I would say that's pretty easy to tackle if you do work at a company, a bigger company that offers like a 401k or some sort of retirement account. Mm -hmm. Um, 401ks are a great way to save money on taxes. So if you're listening and you're working for a company that offers you a 401k, take advantage of it. Open up a 401k, contribute to the 401k. 401ks are awesome because basically what they do is any money that you put into your uh, 401k, you can um, you can defer your income. So let's say that you make um, let's say that you make sixty thousand dollars a year, mm-hmm. and you're able to put ten thousand of that away into your 401k. You will then that year only be taxed on fifty thousand of taxable income rather than sixty thousand on taxable income. Mm-hmm. So you were able to have that ten thousand saved into your four hundred one k and taken away from your overall taxable income. On top of that, a lot of companies offer four hundred one k matching. 
So um, again, ask your company if your company has a 401k set up and you might have heard the term 401k matching, that's basically free money. Your company is literally giving you free money to save for retirement. And this is really common and a lot of people don't take advantage of it. It's usually a small amount, like they'll match like 1% or 2%. But they're basically, yeah, yeah. they're basically saying like if you, sometimes it's up to 5%. They're saying like if you put this amount of money into this retirement account, we'll give you X amount matched. So save on taxes and you get free money. That's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, When you take money out of the 401k, is it taxed? It is. Okay. It's taxed um, at ordinary income tax rate. So basically, it's as if you were getting that income like from a job or another salary, which is common. All reti- mostly all retirement accounts have that tax treatment when you take it out later in retirement, except Roth IRAs, which is why Roth IRAs right. are really attractive. But even with the fact that you have to pay taxes when you take it out... While the money's in the 401k wrapper, so let's say now until you're, you know, well into your 70s or whenever you start spending it, you don't pay any taxes. So you get this tax deferral for, you know, decades. As long as, yeah. Yeah. So then um, in terms of, you mentioned like E-Trade and Ameritrade and those, those are, are those robo-financial advisors versus someone like you who's in person and real? Yeah. So, so there's... So kind of. What they are are technically custodians. So they're people who hold your money. So they do have um, kind of little robo-advisors or financial planning options, but just kind of from a high level, they're the most basic. So you could go open an account at E-Trade and you don't have an advisor. You're not paying a machine and you're not paying a person. You're going to do it yourself. You can log into E-Trade. You open an individual account or an IRA, you put $10,000 into it, and then you can go buy your Apple stock, your Amazon stock, you can do whatever you want. With that money? With that money. Okay. There's no fees associated with that to open that account. And that's just somebody who's knowledgeable enough to know what they're doing, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's pretty basic. I mean, if you if you are looking to get started with kind of investing and you don't want to pay a fee, I would still recommend this. You can go open a Roth IRA. I helped my sister do this. She doesn't know anything about investing, but you know, went on E-Trade, you enter your personal information, you open an account, you link your bank account and you can wire some money into it and you can buy and sell stocks um, by yourself. So you can go in and you can buy a certain amount of shares of Apple or, you know, I'm just using these as examples. Yeah. Yeah. So that's if you want to do it 100% by yourself. Mm -hmm. That isn't a robo advisor. That's just a custodian who holds your money. They're like a discounted online brokerage or trading platform. Then you have the next step up from that, which is a robo advisor. And these are online platforms that basically manage your money for you. And I think that you had talked about, you had mentioned Elvest, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they're awesome. So Mm -hmm. that is an example of a robo-advisor. Another example is Wealthfront or Betterment. And basically you set up an account with them, you transfer money into it, and they invest it for you. And like there's also now apps that do it, like Acorns. Is that kind of like a robo-advisor? Because I know that they're investing money. Yes, there are apps that do it as well. Exactly. Okay. Um, And the idea there is you're paying a fee, so they're generally a lot lower cost than working with a person, Um, but they um, invest the money for you, and it's 
it's a robo-advisor because it's essentially like a rope. I mean, they're automated machines. You're not right. interacting with someone. But that is a great option also right. for someone who is like, I don't really know how to do this myself. I don't want to have to buy and sell stocks. Right. <laughs> and then the third option is working with a financial advisor. Mm-hmm. And that that's, um, you know, what, what I do. And that's more personalized. So instead of just, you know, opening account with Wealthfront or Betterment and putting your money in there and having it automatically invested, you have more of a personal relationship with the financial advisor where you're talking to them all the time, you're sitting down with them, having portfolio reviews, and we're, you know, actively managing the portfolio and changing the allocation of stocks and bonds rather than just kind of an automated system. So that's definitely, I guess it just depends on your preference of do you want that human interaction do you trust yourself to do it yourself, which is like what you said, like the bottom of the like of the three options, and then do you trust a company to just kind of do it for you, take care of it? So it's really just preference, I guess, at the end of the day. Yeah, preference, and I think where you are in your life, you know, if you're earlier on in your career or your life and you're just getting started and you don't necessarily have a large amount of assets, I don't think it's worth paying, you know, a bunch of fees for that. Mm -hmm. So I don't think you necessarily need a financial advisor at that point in time. You probably are better off using, you know, an E-Trade, setting up your own account or one of these lower cost robo advisors and maybe doing a fee-based financial plan like we talked about Mm -hmm. later in your life where you start to amass a larger amount of assets that need to be more closely managed and your life is just a little more complicated, it probably makes sense for you to get a financial advisor. Yeah, definitely. Um, And then, so when it comes to having kids, Mm -hmm. um, like how does that change when you work with clients when they're planning for kids or already have kids planning, you know, for college tuitions and just the extra expenses that come along with children? Is there any like difference in kind of that approach or what you focus on? There isn't a difference. It's just, again, all part of the financial planning process. So I sit down with my clients and I say, okay, what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? And we build a roadmap to help you get there. So college tuition is huge. So there are different types Mm -hmm. of accounts that you can set up that are um, made for saving for college. An example of that is a 529 plan. And we set those up for clients. And that's a saving vehicle that has preferential tax treatment for kids. So 529 plan is an example of that. There are other types of accounts out there that we set up um, for clients um, when they're thinking about having kids. And then, you know, this comes later in your life after you have kids, but then it gets to the next step of how do I educate my kids and Mm -hmm. how do I teach my kids about money? And that's something that I think we talked about this earlier. Education is so important and just kind of you know, figuring out how to, how to teach your kids about money. So did your parents, like, how, how did they teach you about money or was that a conversation? Um, so they, it's funny cause they, they did teach me about money, but it wasn't so much like, here's a lesson on budgeting. Like right. I'm going to teach you about right, this, right. but I always had to, you know, my parents gave me a really comfortable life and I was lucky to, you know, have an allowance and be given things I wanted, but it was, I had to work for the things that I want. So yeah. it was either saving my allowance or getting a job and saving the money that I had from my yeah. job. So I feel like from practical experience, I very quickly learned about money. And, um, you know, I've been working for as long as I can remember. I remember being too young to babysit and my mom telling me like, okay, you have to wait a couple more years before someone will take you seriously as a babysitter. <laughs> 
But, you know, you babysit and you realize, like, okay, I worked for a lot of hours to earn this much money. So of course, I value it. <laughs> you value it. No, yeah, in um, the summer before fifth grade, I really wanted a Kipling rolly backpack. And those were, like, $200. <laughs> yeah. Like, something crazy. Like, who am I, nine-year-old, thinking I should get a $200 backpack? <laughs> But I really wanted it. My mom was like, okay, you have to work for it. So I got a job at our family friend's store just doing inventory and kind of managing the store, which was weird because I was nine. But like, <laughs> I was just, I was there. And, um, and I made the money to buy it. And that was really important to me. So I think totally like learning the value of a dollar from a young age is important. I wish that that understanding had carried through for the rest of my life. I feel like you lose it after a while. But, um, <laughs> but um, I was also just listening to a podcast the other day, and Lauren Conrad was saying that when her parents gave her allowance, they taxed her on it. Wow, that's a new one. Yeah, and at the end of each year, they would pick a charity to donate the, the money to, wow. which I thought was like so great to learn about taxes because that really isn't – something I feel like parents talk to us as much about like yeah. The, yeah you you need money to buy things but what about the money that you never get that you worked for right totally, so yeah um understanding yeah. taxes I, th- I thought that was such a like cute yeah, and fun way and like a meaningful way too because like at the end of the day too she's helping people and I it's going to the government when you're an adult but at yeah. least you know she's choosing a charity she's part of that process and I yeah. thought that was so creative and clever yeah oh gosh everyone should have a crash course on taxes it's the worst <laughs> yeah I mean I, my dad sold those my taxes yeah. I just can't wrap my head around that but I've been better recently at like logging everything especially starting a new business um just tracking all of my expenses yeah because that way I'll just really know what relates to what I'm doing freelance work now too so I feel like I'm kind of in the space where more things can be written off because most of my expenses are personal expenses and then they're but they're for work so um I am learning and so it's better better now than never but you know doing the budgeting I mean it's I know it's not fun to create a budget and a lot of most people don't have a budget you know like a strict budget that they adhere to but I do think it's important whether you do it you know whether you're really good and you do it monthly or just at the end of the year you sit down and you take inventory and you say okay I'm going to go back and look through my credit card and debit card statements and just say like what did I spend this year and really just understand like it might be a scary number that you don't want to look at but say like what did I spend this year you know and what did I spend it on like look at you know going out to eat versus you know food shopping groceries versus shopping for clothes and travel Mm -hmm. and just really have an understanding of what your um, expenses are and what your fixed expenses are versus your discretionary expenses so you know your rent your bills this is kind of what I have to pay and then what am I spending above and beyond that right yeah um my sister-in-law just sent me this great spreadsheet that she has organized for herself for her expenses and she puts everything in there she's also a freelance stylist so yeah a lot of the money she puts on her credit card gets reimbursed but it's still just like to track all of that's really important yeah um so she's really really organized and that's what I aspire to be (laughs) I'm getting there slowly Uh, yeah and I do have like a loose budget in my mind because I just know what I spend money on like in terms of rent and food and the necessities um, but it's the stuff that I buy just like kind of on the fly that I don't really need, but I just want that I need to get under control. Just, it's not that I'm, you know, loose and free with my money and things like that, but just understanding what I'm spending my money on exactly. because it is, you know, $20 adds up here and yes. there. I'm not buying like expensive things, but when, you know, it just add up. adds up and understanding. Cause people always say, I hear this all the time, you know, 
my spending's really under control. I only spend X, you know, X thousand dollars a month. But then the things here or there, no, they're only one time. But the here or there one time is really every month. So really, that's part of your monthly spending, even totally. though you don't think it is. But if every month you're, you know, spending a hundred dollars on clothes, then I mean, that's really in your budget for of that. Of course. So yeah. You kind of just understand that. And then another thing that I think is helpful to understand that, um, that's kind of on the scary realm of taxes is debt, mm-hmm. credit card debt. Um, and just understanding what that means. Um, you know, credit card debt is one example, which isn't the best type of debt, but then there are other types of debt like mortgages. Like when mm-hmm. you go to buy a house and you might be taking out your first big loan, mm-hmm. just what does that mean to have debt? What does it mean to have an interest rate associated with that? So there are costs of capital. So to borrow money either to get a mortgage to buy a house or on your credit card, you're borrowing money, whether you kind of realize it or not, because it just happens by swiping it. Yeah. You're, there's a cost to that. You're paying to borrow that money. And um, I think that's something that we don't necessarily learn at a young age. Like you learn. No. Yeah. I mean, when I was taking out a loan for business school, yeah. cause I pretty much, I was lucky enough to graduate from college pretty much loan free. Like my dad had us take out the minimum each semester just to like teach us a lesson or something. And like, then we would have to pay of it off. Loans? Yeah. I did the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which is good. And you know, I still like have a little bit of that yeah. left, but the majority of it is business school. And I was lucky enough to go to, uh, like a 15 month program that was just, you know, one year, a little over a year. And so it was much less than three year business schools, but still it's a lot of money and it adds up. And that's another thing too, is like, so someone I've been out of business school now for a few years and I'm sure I could have taken a more traditional route and been making more money by now. I'm sure my mom would be much happier (laughs) about that, but, um, I didn't. So (laughs) as I'm thinking about, you know, my future. And like, as I do focus on kids, I do often forget about that, that I have like this debt that's kind of like hanging over me, um, that I'm paying off slowly, but it's almost like making no difference. I know. <laughs> so what, and I just feel like because of the interest, it's just gonna, like, I, I literally have paid so much and have not even made a dent because of the interest. So how do you help people like kind of navigate that or, or invest in a way to make money to help pay those off faster if you can't just from your salary? So it, a lot of it is looking into how your loan is actually structured mm-hmm. and looking at the interest rate that you're paying. So if you're paying a really low interest rate, it might make sense to keep the loan outstanding because basically you can do, um, you can make more money by having your other money invested. So let's say that you have an interest rate of um, like of 2% or 3%. That's a very low interest rate. And let's say that you then have that money invested and it's earning you 5% or 6%. You're making more by having that money invested than by paying off that loan. So in that scenario, it makes sense. Now, I've seen people who have you know, loans outstanding that are double that, triple that. I mean, the interest rates are really high. So in that scenario, it doesn't make sense to have that loan outstanding. Mm-hmm. So evaluating the cost of capital, how much are you paying to have that loan outstanding versus what else you can be doing with the money. That's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. I should take a look at that. I can help you with that. <laughs> Thank you. Oh my God. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Looking at all that stuff is always so confusing. I know. I know it is. And they definitely don't make it, make it easy for you. And then I know people who have, you know, like their loans are broken down at four different 
places. So each place is paying a different interest rate and each place has a different time period on the loan. So yeah. kind of mapping all that out is important. But debt loan taking loans isn't necessarily a bad thing. Right. You know? Um, having, you know, a ton of credit card debt and spending more than you make isn't a good thing. But debt isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just you want to make sure that you're aware of the cost of borrowing that money. Right. I think that that would definitely change the way people think about putting money on their credit cards. Yeah. And I get there are those emergencies and there's times where you're just like in a tight spot and you and it's great to have access to that credit line. But but yeah, like, I mean, if I would go back and do it all again, I would try and get a public loan, for example, like mine was a private loan because my dad mm-hmm. just wanted to make sure I got the amount that I needed for business school. And mm-hmm. I didn't fully understand what that meant. Because when Obama came in and was like, we're going to refinance your loans, like your student loans, my private loan doesn't qualify. Yeah. So it's just stuck at the amount that I borrowed and it'll never go down. Yeah. I'll never be able to get that yeah. lowered. So, and, but my other one I did from USF, from college. Oh, that's awesome. And it was great. It like was almost cut in half. Wow. That's yeah. great. Yeah. But my private loan definitely will just won't stay, stay there. Yeah. Wells Fargo won't budge on nope. <laughs> Um, but yeah, anyway, well, thank you so much. I just wanted to get to the last three questions that I'll be asking everybody. Um, first one is what mantra or words do you like to live by? So this isn't like an official mantra, but mine would be to just be positive and have a good attitude. Um, you know, you really can't control anything that happens around you all you can control is how you react to that situation Mm -hmm. and I really try and always be like the most positive person I can be for totally yeah I agree with that you are (laughs) (laughs) um and then you know we all know it takes a village to raise kids um in your community that you've kind of been building what do you most value in them and you're excited about like having them around your kids your future kids. This is a fun question. <laughs> I think what I value about my community is that I really have such a diverse network of friends and family mm-hmm. in, you know, everything from doctors to lawyers to artists, creatives, small business owners. Mm-hmm. And I'm so like proud and inspired by all my friends. They're so passionate about what they're doing in these different fields. And I know that um, I'm just going to have such good role models for my Aww, future that's children. that's so great. Yeah. I love that. No, I think that is really great, too, because it shows kids, like, you can be so many things. Anything. Yeah. yeah. No, that's I awesome. love that. Um, and then just what values, I guess, do you most admire that you hope to pass on to your kids? Separate from, you know, you can do whatever you want to um, be positive. I think it's, mine would be to, like, be kind to everyone and treat everyone equally. Mm-hmm. Like, whether it's, someone who is your closest friend, someone who you think can really help you in life or someone who can literally do nothing for you, but is just, you know, a person that you're passing by on the street or a Mm -hmm. waitress or a parking attendant or anything like you should always treat everyone the same and just be kind to everyone. Yeah, totally agree with that. A hundred percent. That's actually been a really common answer. (laughs) Yeah. I, which I love to hear. And that's awesome. I'm I'm happy and excited most about this podcast because it hopefully will inspire future parents to just be thinking about all these different things. And I know that that's a lot of it could be intuitive maybe, but still I think it helps to just talk about it and think about like how we're going to 
raise our kids and what we're going to pass on to them and expose them to. And so I'm really excited about this. And thank you so much for being a part of it. Of course. Thank you. <laughs> this has been so fun. Yeah. Um, and I'll put in the podcast notes where everyone can find you. Um, but is there anything specific you wanted to share, like your company's website or anything like that? Um, you know, you can reach out to me via email or, um, you know, anything else. And I'm here to help. I love um, helping people and answering questions and talking to people about this stuff. So feel free to reach out. Um, I really do love this stuff. Amazing. Thank you. Of course.